Well, I wonder, what is on your car tape for a long journey? What is on your Spotify playlist for an international flight? What songs did you sing on the bus on that school trip? Well, I guess these aren't questions we're particularly asking now, are they, really? But my money is that whether your playlist would have started with Sweet Home Alabama or The Proclaimers, um, you wouldn't have started a long journey singing a song about someone lamenting being stuck in a community full of liars, where everyone is at war with you, where you're slandered just simply because your way of life is opposite to everyone else's and you need to be rescued. Doesn't sound like the recipe for an enjoyable journey, does it? It doesn't sound like that kind of bouncy thing that gets you going and gets the journey going quickly either, does it? Yet that is exactly what we have here in Psalm 120. These 15 psalms in your Bible, entitled The Songs of Ascent, are 15 songs that were the playlist for the people of Israel on their journey to Jerusalem. Three times a year, the people would travel back there. Passover, harvest, uh, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And for most people, that would be a week's journey. A week's journey, a week there for the festival, uh, and then a week back again. And these are the songs. This is the playlist for this journey to Jerusalem. To remember what God had done and to be discipled. Well, great, you think, good for them, but why do I need these songs? Well, read the Bible for long enough, and I think the answer becomes apparent. You see, the Christian life is the life of a disciple and a pilgrim. One person has said that the Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. That journey as a pilgrim, following the Lord to where he is going. Christians live as strangers in this world on a journey home. It's hard, it's slow, progress can feel really difficult. Uh, It doesn't feel like things happen at the click of a finger, perhaps like a week-long walk to Jerusalem. But nonetheless, we are on a walk. And these Psalms, I think, come into their own just at this point, just at this point when we think, it's so difficult, isn't it? Imagine it, year after year, uh, and one family shouts over to you, so, are you going up this year? Are you, are you going to Jerusalem? Are you going to Passover and remember the Lord's great work? And most people are sitting there thinking to themselves, you know, I, I mean, yeah, I guess I'll go, but it's hard, you know, a week away from life, it's, you know, that's costly. I've got so many things I could be doing there, and, and my work on the farm in an agrarian economy, it's very difficult to leave that. I mean, sure, if it made a difference, if things really happened there, and I felt like, wow, you know, it was easy and quick. Oh, but there's so many reasons just to stay home and not be in the journey. But you see, on mornings like that, this psalm, Psalm 120, came into its own. It is for that moment, as the people see it thinking, am I going or not? They hear the people sing. And they pile in. 
and they get on the journey. This is a song, in other words, that got the Old Testament people of God taking their faith seriously, seriously enough to join a pilgrimage. Now you say, well, what is so special about this song? How did it have such an amazing effect? Because actually, if I look at this psalm, in all honesty, it's seven short verses. It doesn't seem to be particularly special. If anything, it's a bit awkward. Look at the psalm and look at how it starts in verse one. It starts out looking quite good, doesn't it? It's like a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. Look at verse one. The psalmist says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Here is one individual story. They were in trouble. They called to the Lord and the Lord answered them. That's like a whole psalm of praise in miniature. Here are reasons to praise God. So we think, oh, well, maybe this is going to be the bouncy song. The, the, the psalm is going to continue. So I'm praising the Lord. But look what happens in verse 2. Immediately, the psalmist moves from having been in a position to praise to awkwardly moves into a lament. And verses 2 to 7 could actually be a psalm of lament just on their own, really. Look at, look at how it moves. Verse 2, the psalmist is in distress. Again, verse 2, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. It's not exactly what we'd expect. It's not a welcome start to our soundtrack following the Lord. But friends, this is it, quite astonishingly. This is the start of the journey of discipleship in these psalms. So, we need to sit up and take notice, don't we? It's my fervent belief that in these psalms this morning, though they were written thousands of years ago, it is the Lord's desire that Psalm 120 should have the same effect on us today that it had then. That it should get us to take our faith so seriously that we would get up and go and follow him. No matter what the cost, no matter that it's slow and hard, that it should drive us to proper discipleship, serious discipleship. So what do we have here? And how can this psalm get us serious about following the Lord Jesus? Well, two things. Two things, and the first one is this. The first thing here is that there's a complaint. The complaint, I am living in a world of lies. The psalmist cries out, don't they, in verse 2, deliver me, rescue me from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. Here is a person at the hard edge of lies. They're in pain. They're in distress. But notice, um, it's not only that. It's horrid because the whole environment they're in has driven this psalmist to the end of his tether. Notice verse 5. Here's a word that only appears in the Hebrew Bible once. It's the word woe, but here it's the elongated form of that word. It's like a a deep woe, like a deep sigh. What a groan. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. The psalmist says, it's as if I'm living in Meshech and Kedar. These are two foreign places, one in the north, Meshech, and one in the south. It's not possible that the psalm is really living in those places. They're too far apart. No, he's speaking metaphorically. It's as if I'm living with barbaric people as an outsider 
And the people of Qadar were famous for wearing dark robes. It's like I'm in a place where everything around me and all the people around me are darkness to me. And the psalmist says he's had enough of it. Look at verse 6. Too long have I had my dwelling place among those who hate peace. Why? I've had enough. Why? Look at verse 7. I am for peace. But when I speak, they are for war. A psalmist is in a position where everyone refuses their attempts at peacemaking, at, at friendship and kindness. They're repaid with words of war. They hate me. They slander me. In that phrase, verse 7, the psalmist says, I am peace. Uh, the words there are more literally, I peace. It's like the psalmist is saying, the core of me is peace. If you like, my middle name is peace. Peace is what I'm about. And yet my very way of life causes the slanders that I am receiving. This is what I am for, this is what I am about, but they're for war. And they resent me so much that no matter how much goodwill on my part, it can't resolve things. We are at total odds. We're polar opposites. Do you notice then that the psalmist's complaint here is both kind of general and specific? The psalmist here, I think, knows what we know if we're Christians. The psalmist knows the specific things that Christians can often experience. Oh, you're one of them, are you? Oh, oh, oh. And how quickly the gossip spreads. Hey, 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 did you know that one? Yeah, they're, they're one of those Bible bashers, you know, one of those born-again types. Yeah, no, don't let them know we're going for a social tonight. Yeah, no, don't, don't discuss that case with them. I, they're not going to see it like we do. Just leave them out. I think, you know, frankly, they're a bit gone in the head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, do you, know, do you know what Joe said? Oh, I was by the photocopy the other day, and Joe said, it basically, it's a cult. A lunatic, frankly. Stay well clear. Uh, don't let them ne- near this deal, this project, this event, this gathering, this opportunity. Keep them away. And the Lord, and, and the psalmist knows just that. He cries, doesn't he? Lord, deliver me from the deceitful tongue. But the psalmist also knows the more general things too. That the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness are are experiencing a difference. That the kingdom of darkness is in hostility to the kingdom of light. There is animosity. That we can live in this world and experience lots of facts. We can turn on the news, we can read our newspapers, and everything is, in in a sense, impeccably factual. But yet, it's riddled with lies, actually, and error. How often we're told, day by day, that people are nice and good, and that everything will turn out okay. In other words, you don't need that Christian stuff. How often we're told we're, we're essentially free as human beings. If in any way we feel like we're in chains and life is difficult, well, we can fix that, you know. A bit of intelligence, a bit of education, and we can fix the world. And you know, look, there are elements of truth in that 
aren't there, that human beings can be good, that we can fix some things. But actually the key things are missed out, aren't they? This is, we live in a world where the truth is told, but not the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Advertisers promise us that they have what we need. Politicians tell us they've got the power and authority to fix everything. Entertainers promise us a quick shot of joy. And everyone, almost everyone, tells us we need to love and how to love, and yet never telling us about the God of love. And the psalmist says, I live in a world of lies where the world is telling me the opposite of what's true. They are at war. I am for peace, and they are for something else. And friends, sooner or later, the Christian needs to wake up to this reality that we are for peace. We are for the prince of peace, and the world is not. We live in a world that will slander us if we are Christians, that will lie to us in almost every form of media and culture that we consume. There is animosity towards us. There is an incompatibility. And so what happens is that the psalmist works this out. And he says, I've had enough, Lord, deliver me and save me. The psalmist realizes he's far from home and he wants to get home. And so the Israelites pick up this psalmist song. They pack up their stuff and they head to Jerusalem to fix their eyes on the Lord, to remember his great acts of grace. And as they go, they sing this song about being unwelcome in the world. Because, friends, it's true, isn't it? That dissatisfaction with this world leads to discipleship. Dissatisfaction with this world leads to discipleship, getting on the path to being serious with the Lord. You know, sometimes Christians will talk about the expulsive power of a new affection. Sometimes Christians will speak about this idea that that when the Lord has captured our hearts, we love him so much that it's almost like there's no room for anything else, no room for sin, the expulsive power of loving God. And that's true, isn't it? But here it's like, it's like we're seeing the other side of the same coin. That it's, it's not just love for the Lord that can lead us to want to be sort of away from the ways of the world, as it were. But it's dissatisfaction with this world that can lead us to love the Lord more and want more of his truth than ever before. Dissatisfaction can lead us to say no to the world and yes to God's truth. Right? So what are we talking about here then? Perhaps you're thinking, Ollie, you sound like you're um, instructing us to join some sort of monastic order. (laughs) Well, no. No, the New Testament counsels us against that. Um, It counts us against running away from the world, against hostility to the world, and it counsels us against compromise and assimilation with the world. We're not to run away. The Israelites weren't running away as they went to the temple. They were getting up in obedience to remember the work of God. We're to stay where we are, but to take God very seriously indeed. Uh, The the people were going on that three-week trip to the temple to learn more about God, that it would change them. That it was so good, they trusted it was so good that it was worth it, that it would transform their lives. We're talking about on a 
going on a journey so that we wouldn't be the same anymore. That God would change us. That we would be heading home with the Lord. And it all starts with dissatisfaction. It starts with complaint. I'm living in a world of lies. And I've had enough. I wonder if you've had that realisation. I am far from home. I wonder if you've had that dissatisfaction with the world. I wonder if you've had that feeling from those you live and work and share life with where you just realise you're unwelcome. I think all too honest if we're or all too often if we're honest, <laughs> I think we recognise that actually we don't feel a sense of dissatisfaction with the world. Most of our motives as we look at our lives actually aren't focused on embracing that tension and saying, Lord, help me, give me the resources for this, show me what it means to follow you here. Actually, more often than not, I'm going the opposite way. I'm actually seeking to be at home here in a place where I'm not supposed to be at home. Hmm. This is the start of that journey, friends. We're supposed to sing this song. We're supposed to feel what the psalmist feels and realize the truth that we are unwelcome in this world. So if you feel lukewarm as a Christian this morning, I guess from time to time, many of us do, then know that there would have been those in the people of Israel that felt that way. But that is exactly why the playlist begins here. This is exactly why it starts here. This song gets us feeling the tension. It gets us sharing the dissatisfaction. And it gets us going to the Lord. So ask yourself this. How comfortable do you feel in this world? To what extent would I say, I'm just going after comfort? Am I... Am I moving towards a dissatisfaction in my heart? And am I seeing what the Lord might be doing in my life there and how he might be driving me to him to move forward, following him on the slow, steady, long obedience in the same direction? Let me encourage you, if you're Zooming uh, someone from the church family this week, if you're getting together for a walk, well, why not talk and pray about these matters together? I think that'd be a great thing to do. So here's a psalm that gets us on the road to discipleship, gets us taking the Lord seriously. And it starts with a complaint, I live in a world of lies. But secondly, it's moved forward by confidence. The psalmist says here, I am trusting the future judgment of God. The psalmist mentions the name of the Lord twice in the first two verses. And it's like almost as soon as he mentions the name of the Lord, light starts to be cast into his situation. And the lies start to be unraveled and his hopelessness changes to hopefulness. And so verse 3 moves to a kind of um, confession. The psalmist in verse 3 is kind of making a legal statement, almost like an oath. Um, I don't know whether you remember in some of the parables the way Jesus tells them. He'll tell a story and then he'll say, and what now will the Lord do? What's the Lord said? What do we really expect him to do? And that's how verse 3 works. Look at it. He's been in distress at the lies and the deceit. And the psalmist speaks to the slanderer, verse 3 and 4. 
what shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. The psalmist speaks here, and they're not speaking so much in distress anymore, but with a quiet confidence. What will be given to you, deceitful tongue? What do you think? What has the Lord promised? What has he said? The Lord is a God of justice. He will see wrongs righted. For what you have done, you will be given in like measure. So, you deceitful tongue, with your mouth that works like a bow, firing arrows that are wicked words. Well, you fired your arrows. Well, God's arrow will be fired with the precision accuracy of the warrior's bow. And it won't miss its target. And your words that have been like fire, like a fire fueled by the finest charcoal in the land of the broom tree, well, your tree will be uprooted. You'll come to an end and the only fire that will be burning will be the the debris of the world in opposition to the Lord. So the psalmist says, look, If you feel like you're doomed to live here in darkness, live in a world of lies, live in slander, well, know that it won't be like that forever. That the Lord will rescue, that he will put everything right. It might be tough now, but it won't go on, it won't. The day of alienation, the day of strangeness, The day of conflict will finish. I can be confident, I can trust the Lord that he will have the future judgment. Do you see how the psalmist speaks to us here? Maybe we are not embracing this dissatisfaction with the world. Maybe we're getting comfortable here because we're afraid of what might happen to us if we really took our our discipleship seriously. And while the psalmist says to those who fear the deceitful tongue, he says, look what's coming. Look what's coming to the world in opposition to the Lord. Much better to be with him than to be anywhere else. Go after the Lord. He will put things right in the end. The road to discipleship might be hard, but the answer, the end is firm. Liars will get what liars are due, and the Lord will set everything right. And so what's amazing in this psalm is that if his complaint got the journey going, right, if the dissatisfaction with the ways of the world made the people want to get on with discipleship following the Lord, well, this confidence really gets things going. It really motivates. Because, look, I mean, just look at verse 3 again. This question, what's going to be given to the deceivers and the lying tongue? Now, that question isn't thrown out into thin air. He's speaking to those who oppose him. He's saying, look, look, guys, can't you see what your end's going to be? Turn around, follow me, come on the journey with us, follow the Lord. He's so confident he knows what's coming that he's telling his enemies to come and join him and repent. And so the psalm ends with his words, doesn't it? I am for peace and they are for war. But it's almost like by the end of this psalm, it's almost like a, a cry of vindication. You know, I am for peace. I'm confident the Lord's going to do right in the end. I'm for peace and it's they who are for war. And the Lord will see right done in the end. I can trust him for my future. And wow how it gets 
the psalmist walking and even calling to others to join in. We can be confident, friends, that a life in a world of lies won't be so forever. There will be a day when it stops, when it ends. We can have confidence in the future judgment, the future making right of the world by God. We can have this confidence. I wonder whether you've got that firmly grasped in your heart, in your life. Because here, certainly, it is decisive, isn't it? You can't sing this song and not make a firm decision which way you're going to go. You've got to pick a side, haven't you? (laughs) Have you done it? Because you know what the end is. That's the side to go with. But you know, friends, if this psalm at the end is brimming with some confidence on the part of the psalmist, well, we can have even more confidence, can't we? Because we know the fulfillment of this psalm filled up and overflowing. We know who this psalm really speaks of. We know the whole Bible is about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, about promises made about the Lord Jesus. The New Testament, about promises fulfilled in Jesus. And it's true here. It's true here too. You see, Jesus himself would have sung this song many times. We know from Luke's gospel that Jesus travelled up to the temple aged 12 years old. They would have sung these songs on that journey. We know from Luke's gospel again that Jesus turned his face and he set his face on Jerusalem to go to the cross. We know from John's gospel that as Jesus went to the cross, it was happening at Passover time. They were singing these songs. They'd have been singing Psalm 120. Imagine Jesus singing these words and what they meant to him. doesn't take much imagination, does it? I don't think it takes much imagination to, to think of Jesus singing and thinking in his heart, Lord, deliver me from liars and slanderers, as he receives lies and attack after attack. I don't think it takes much to think of Jesus thinking, too long have I dwelt among those who just want for, for, want for hatred. O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? I don't think it takes much to think of Jesus saying, I am for peace. I am peace. Peace is my middle name. He is the Prince of Peace. And he comes declaring the message of peace. Good news, the kingdom of God has come near. You see, Jesus was for peace and yet humanity was for war. And as Jesus sings this song, he knows where it ends. He knows that even though there's a cross, even though there is death, even though there is the apparent victory of the liars and the slanderers, even though he ends up in the darkest of places, he is proven right in the end. He is delivered. The Lord raises him from the dead. Jesus trusted the future judgment of just and justice of God and he was proven right. So friends, how much more confidence can we have? How much more confidence can we have knowing that we feel the tension and the discomfort? Knowing that sense of being lied to sometimes, even personally deceived and slandered. How much more can we know that it won't last forever? That Jesus ascended to heaven is the coming judge. And he will have the final word. 
He will have the final word. So here is a complaint. And here is a confidence that moves us towards a proper discipleship. To being serious with the Lord. How serious are you about following the Lord and being changed by him? Not being at home here, but being at home with the Lord, going with him on a journey towards him. Friends, this psalm is the start of it. Would you make it the start of your journey today? Would you refresh your commitment to the Lord and your desire to journey with him and follow him, to take up your cross and follow him? I believe this psalm is what, that is what this psalm is supposed to do in our lives. It's time to move. It's time to get up. It's time to start singing. How do you need to embrace that feeling of being unwelcome in the world? How do you need to grasp hold of confidence in future judgment because those things ought to stir our hearts do you hear the people singing the words of psalm 120 do you hear the lord jesus singing this song to encourage us can you sing it this morning lord take me on the long obedience in the same direction deliver me from lying words that say, don't take God too seriously. Don't believe too much. It's just your opinion anyway. Bring me to a sense of dissatisfaction with the world that drives me only to find satisfaction in the Lord so that I want to know him deeply, that I want to go on the slow grind, the hard yards, the pilgrim on the way. I guess in the end, Psalm 120 actually kind of is like a song some of you might have on your playlist. That is, if you like musicals anyway, and you like Les Miserables. Do you hear the people sing? Do you hear the people sing, singing the songs of dissatisfied men? It's the music of the people who will not be slaves again. When the beating of your heart echoes the beating of the drums, there is a life about to start when tomorrow comes. Will you join in our crusade? Who will be strong and stand with me beyond the barricade? Is there a world you long to see? I guess perhaps as awkward as this psalm in an unwelcome world is, it really is a song to get us moving, isn't it? Shall we pray? Our Father God, we give you praise and thanks for this short, brief psalm that is full of such a stirring and rich call to us. And Father, we want to confess how often we've been making our home in this world. Father, we ask today that we would start again with you, that we would take you and your word seriously, we take obedience seriously, that we would find joy in you and not here. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.